Hello and welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Um, so join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your product co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. Um, and I'm Kevin Gentry. And today we're joined by uh, Eric Bodak, uh, co-founder of uh, Pendo.io, which is a suite um, for product software. Um, Eric, do you maybe want to tell us a little bit about Pendo, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, where do you want me to start? How about we start with me and we can dig into Pendo? Yeah. Sounds great. Sounds good. Um, so... Um, a little of my background, started as an engineer, born in Massachusetts, have lived in both, you know, Raleigh now, along with Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, and San Francisco, California. So I got, you know, a, you know, quite a taste of kind of the Silicon Valley product life, uh, for better or for worse. And, and there's definitely some better and definitely some worse. Um, you know, education-wise, like in engineering, so, you know, wrote code at an early age, uh, went all the way through, through, you know, college at Carnegie Mellon doing the, the CS thing, um, kind of got the entrepreneurship bug because of a professor of mine there and mentor, Jack Roseman, uh, who's a, a big proponent of entrepreneurship at, at Carnegie Mellon before uh, he retired. Uh, Jack's amazing guy. Um Let's see, um, you know, done a couple of startups through my career and also done a couple of public companies. So, you know, did a startup actually with my current CEO, Todd Olson, right out of college called uh, Cerebellum Software. It's kind of, we grew it up, you know, pre and through the internet times and, mm-hmm. and through the kind of dot-com bust. So uh, that was a, a ton of fun, a ton of learning. Um And, you know, kind of taught us a lot about, you know, growing businesses, right? Um, did... A couple of public companies worked at Embarcadero Technologies, ran worldwide marketing at Vitria, um, and then did some startup work also in the mobile space and the product uh, management space, actually before uh, starting Pendo along with Todd, Raul, Jane, and uh, Eric Trump. Um, on the, the Pendo side, you know, we're all about helping customers build products that um, they love, right? So everyone's all, you know, one of the big challenges is building great products, right? Mm-hmm. And Pendo is all about empowering product teams to build great products for their customers. So we have a whole suite of capabilities that help them out in that way, whether it be analytics, whether it be surveys, things like NPS, whether it be guidance, whether it be in-app messaging, uh, in-context help. Uh, there's lots of ways Pendo as a platform helps our customers build products that their customers love. So that's kind of a, a brief, uh, you know, overview of Pendo. I'd, I'm happy to dig into the story more behind that. Where do you want to go from here? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's really interesting too, because as a, like I, I've been in product management for about eight years now, and you know, product managers are very much in the headspace of how do we make things that our users, our customers love. And I think it's interesting because from your standpoint at Pendo, you're now how do we enable product managers and companies to build things that their customers love. It's kind of like um, learning to build something that enables people to build something that people love. It's really interesting. Um, And so I I think uh, it'd be interesting to hear a little bit more about what led you and your CEO to kind of start and Pendo and really get that going. 
Yeah. So, I mean, Todd and I always wanted to do a company again together, right? We had done it out of school. We learned a lot from it. You know, it was an interesting story in that we were almost really successful. Uh, had an acquisition offer on the table that, uh, and then, you know, the, the stock market crashed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, while we were negotiating, trying to get a better deal, uh, or while our investment bank was. So it's like, from riches to rags, so to speak, from rags to riches to rags a little bit, uh, <laughs> you know, but it, from that experience was both humbling and you learn a lot from that too. So there, there's a lot of learnings to take away from that. Uh, and then Don and I always thought it would be great to do something again together. Uh, the timing was right and we were sitting down and, and talking about some things to do. Uh, we pulled in Raul Jane early and then a little bit later, uh, Eric Trone. Uh, but one of the things that we had always struggled with as product people was, was understanding how our software is being used, right? It was, a, mm-hmm. it was a big challenge, right? You put software out there, you hope your customers love it. You're calling them or emailing them or maybe you're sending them surveys, but that information isn't necessarily always the best. It's not necessarily complete. It's not necessarily always accurate as it turns out. Um, so often, you know, we would say, oh, let's just instrument our product, right? Let's pull some engineers, we'll instrument our product, we'll get all the data about how it's being used. And yeah. the problem with that and that we always struggled with is like, well, these engineers should be building, you know, the spell check for our word processor or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, mm-hmm. the campaign manager for our, our emailing system or whatever it happened to be. There's always stuff you wanted to build, right? And it was hard to pull engineers off core functionality to put them on, you know, instrumentation. So one of the ideas Todd and I were batting about was what became Pendo was this idea of like, let's build something for ourselves. Let's build something for product people. Let's build something for who we are, what we would want, the problems we had. And the one problem we thought we would start with was this idea of like, okay, how are our products used? Wouldn't it be great if we had software we could just install that would capture everything that our customers did on our products, what they clicked on, what they didn't, how well they accomplished tasks, how mm-hmm. often they logged in, all of that kind of data. What if it was all just there? We didn't have to survey people. We didn't have to ask people. We didn't have to dig into this uh, just to get usage information. Now, it's still important to talk to your customers and you know, it's not ending that problem. It's just giving you all the data behind that, right? Behind that usage. And so right from the beginning, we're like, oh, if we could do this whole thing for product, what would be different? Because there's some analytics vendors out there. There's the Omnitures, the Google Analytics, the Mix Panels, right? But they're all geared towards marketing people. They're all geared towards conversions. Like, how does my website convert? You know, are, you know is my advertising converting to downloads of my apps on mobile? All those kinds of problems. And those are interesting problems potentially to product people, but they're not our main problems. Our main problems are like, how is our product being used, right? Mm-hmm. What are our customers doing? How often are they doing it? Are they getting value out of it? Um, and some of that you can answer with the data and you can definitely complement, you know, any of the customer conversations with that. And, and it scales, like capturing data scales. Like you can't talk to every customer every day, but you can get all of the data from all of your customer's usage every single day, every single minute every single hour, right? So that was that was kind of the core of Pendo, was building something for ourselves. And then at a higher level, it was about this idea of like, as product managers, we've kind of got the short end of the stick in the past. Like, there just wasn't a lot of tools for us. There was like, you know, Salesforce for, you know, the, the salespeople. There was, you know, Marketo for the marketing people, but there's really nothing for product teams, right? It was like, oh, we can use Google Analytics to instrument stuff, or we can build our own instrumentation, or we're using Microsoft Project, right? Yeah. Uh, there wasn't a lot of good stuff out there at all. We were capturing feedback in Excel documents off and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And we're like, eh, there's a much better way, you know, to build product for us that would be custom for us, that would be built for us, right? And all of a sudden, we, we wanted to take what was this 
underappreciated, underused, uh, or underserved segment, which is product teams, and kind of bring them to the forefront. Because product is really important. I mean, when you think about it, uh, you know, product's kind of the mainstay of your business. And we haven't always treated it that way, right? We've mm-hmm. kind of treated it as like, oh, there's the product people and engineers over in the corner. They're going to build stuff. And what's important is that yeah. we can sell it, right? But a lot of that has changed in, in the consumerization of the enterprise, uh, the, the move to the cloud, the move to SaaS pricing, all of that has made product really at the forefront because it's no more that like a salesperson can sell something to someone like say a Siebel implementation or whatever it happens to be that's like a huge license up front mm-hmm. uh, and that they're kind of forced to get value out of to some aspect, right? Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, you're buying this maybe for a month before you can cancel or a year before you can cancel, right? And now that the timeframes are a lot shorter, uh, the, the customers have to get value out of this. So the mentality behind products change a lot too. So this is kind of the world that Pendo fit into. And I, it was a really good time, I think, uh, for us to start Pendo because of these macro trends in addition to the fact that there wasn't something really built for people like Todd and I. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I think kind of looking at how do we solve the need for product managers, it kind of reminds me of uh, businesses where it's like you solve for business goals, right? You're trying to increase revenue, you're trying to increase certain metrics, but then the role of product is to really come in and say, how do we build something that our customers and our users really love and find a lot of value in? And so kind of seeing that shift away from like this type of instrumentation you're talking about, like how do we build something that enables product managers to really find what people love and value? And I, that's a question that's definitely really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, like what are some on that core of data too, right? Cool. You know, there's so much you can build on that level of data. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are some examples um, that product managers could expect to see with Pendo in terms of like the differences of Google Analytics? If I were to um, use Pendo as a platform, what are those types of metrics, those usage metrics that are geared well, towards product? Built for product people. So the metrics we're going to show you are different. It's going to be like, you know, how are these features being used, right? I mean, first, you don't have to instrument things. So that's the big thing. And then you're categorizing and looking at things differently, looking at it from an eye of a product manager as opposed yeah. to, you know, a, a marketing person, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just a different approach to it fundamentally, where I would want to see it as a product manager, things like, oh, show me my NPS by usage, right? Yeah. So you can say, oh, what are yeah. what are my high NPS people using? What are my low NPS people using? So like the low might be a list of things that eventually you want to fix. The higher stuff you're going to now like highlight in your marketing materials, you're going to have salespeople push your prospects to because you know those things that people really like, right? Uh, you don't get anything anywhere close to that out of like a Google Analytics. So it's just, it, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, it's like comparing a boat to a car, right? They're just completely <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. They're both kind of transportation, but for <laughs> you know, 99% of the time, completely unrelated use cases. D- different use cases. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I love that. Um, so you're looking at the triggers that um, are successful for your product specifically. And it's, it's like your personal dashboard as a product manager. It's super helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And you can customize and build it as you need. And, you know, as we've added all of these capabilities, you know, it just gives you a lot of power. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we started with analytics, which yeah. sometimes surprises people because we have such strong guidance and in-context help and all that kind of overlay kind of stuff. Uh, but that was like the second thing we did. And the reason we did it is because we were impatient, right? You get this data, like we're using Pendo on Pendo and we realize like people have struggles setting up staging servers and we're like, oh great, we can fix that, but it's not going to be in this next sprint because we got this other stuff to do. It's going to be, you know, and we're like, why, why do we have to wait? And then we're like, what if we build guidance on top of that? And instead of having an engineer fix it right now, it'd be like, let's just build a guy that teaches people how to set up staging servers. So like, 
right? When they get to that first page, that first step, they're like, hey, we can walk you through this because we know it's a little confusing right now. And then you can just walk people through every single click and get it to work, right? So yeah. that was kind of our, our second, you know, you know, major component of our product cloud is like, oh, let's do guidance. Let's do in-app messaging. Let's do guides and let's do it in a way that is tied to the data. You know, because if you're doing training, it doesn't necessarily always need to be tied to the data or that approach, you know, might not be as data centric, though I would argue that there's more value if you did it that way. But if you're building this for product people, if you're building this kind of, you know, help for the product team, it has to be tied to data because otherwise you don't know where do I need to build walkthroughs? Where are people struggling? Are you just relying on like, you know, ad hoc information to make those decisions? It's great if you have the flows that you can see like, oh, a lot of people are dropping off in this funnel or this path before they actually get the staging server set up. And they're actually clicking on our contact support button, which is not something anyone wants to do, right? right. No one want, no user wants to be clicking on contact support. They would just want to you know, do what they came there to do. Yeah. Uh, so if we guide them to it, it's good for them and it's good for us because support costs money. So yeah. let's, let's give them a better experience and let's have us have less support calls. So, you know, the combination of those things became really, really powerful. And then we started adding things like, you know, NPS and surveys on top of that, right? Where you can then combine this information. Well, show me usage by, you know, how often, you know, how happy they are. And that's really powerful. You get, yeah. you get great data. You can see where, where are my six and sevens, right? What are they, what, what don't they like, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What are they using? How can I push them up to that eight, nine, and 10? And, you know, there's just great combinations of data give this great insights to good product managers that they can then act on. And then we took that and we added in feedback with Pendo feedback, right? So you can capture feedback and then integrate that into your product roadmaps. And the most recent offering, uh, I, I guess the most recent, uh, but the one I feel like is the most recent uh, is our adopt product line. We're actually taking the guidance portion and pushing it out to our customers' customers. So if, you know, an AWS buys Marketo, they can now build their own guides that, make sure their people are following things from compliance reasons, from standardization reasons, that kind of stuff. So, you know, AWS might have their own way to launch campaigns so they can instruct their people on how that needs to be done. They might have their own policies that say in this field, this type of information has to go out or be present on every landing page. And, and it gives them the ability to train the people inside the application around all these different rules, which is yeah. super, super powerful, right? Because we've all been through training. It's like, oh, you get five days of training and you're expected to remember 20 hours of content which you remember half of which the next day and by a month from now it's like 10 percent, right yeah 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 absolutely. so yeah so i mean it's super exciting i feel like you know our focus is like how can we enable product to be so much better and then the benefit we get out of that is like product becomes like the center this product-led approach right we're now like hey if salespeople can go in and see what their prospects are doing on a trial mm -hmm. they're going to close more they're going to see that like, oh, this trial hasn't used, you know, spell check, right? And that's the most important thing for us to, you know, getting across if they're going to buy our word processor. So you can have the, the salesperson be like, well, you should check this out. Or you can even do that in an app. So, but it yeah. empowers salespeople to close better. It empowers CS people to do their job better because they can see where people are struggling or how often they're logging in or what features they're using. It can help marketing. Product data helps marketing because they can see like, you know, where people are the happiest, what they're using the most, and they can use that material to, you know, market to similar prospects that could be 
be customers. They can highlight the things that they know people love that gets them to buy or convert. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's, it's really empowering to the other departments. We've even seen finance people use it where they warn people like, hey, by the way, you're monthly on your bill. You're not going to be able to use this software soon if you don't, you know, pay us. Mm -hmm. Which we would have never thought of that as a use case. So you get all these like cool uses of product data and, and consumption across the other departments that we enable. And it's like, it's really awesome to like make a product manager, you know, empower them to yeah. empower the other parts of their organization. It's, Which uh, is, it makes me very excited. And that's what a good product manager should do, right? They should be empowering other parts of the organization. And some of the things you're talking about are really interesting to me because it kind of speaks to this mindset I think we're seeing in the industry right now. A lot of companies really realizing the value of being a product-centric or product-focused company where – you know, even aside from the product managers, how do we think about our users? How do we think about our customers? Um, and then how do we aggregate quantitative data, qualitative data into meaningful ways where we understand here's the macro trends, but we also get those kind of insights mm -hmm. that the, the big data is not going to be able to tell us that, you know, kind of through intuition and understanding of pain points of real people and real users, you can start to get at. And then I really find it interesting to think about the convergence of those types of like insights and data points for a product manager, but then also feeding that back out into meaningful types of action. Like how do we teach people things? How do we evolve this? And kind of reminds me of like an AB testing framework of like, okay, we tried teaching them this way, kind of having a, a self-serve means to do so. It sounds, sounds pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Like, I really appreciate the deep dive on that. I think as product people, it's one of those yeah. things I could, I could probably talk about that for the next three <laughs> hours. And, you know, we always tell our listeners 30 minutes at a time. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's funny as a podcast host, I'm like, I kind of go as long as the content goes. Yeah. Or as long as my, my, uh, <laughs> my uh, guest has time. Right. Well, yeah. uh, so I just had one the other day that was like, we we're 50 minutes in and I was like, you know, or we were 40 minutes in. And when I first asked them, I was like, you know, there's no way we're going to be done in an hour. I was like, you <laughs> parts? He's like, sure. So ended up having like an hour and 45 minute podcast or yeah. something like that. We've definitely had like a broken out part before as well. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think we've kind of started to realize yeah. maybe we should do like longer segments yeah. because the reason we spent 30 minutes of time is because it sounded catchy. Yeah. Like that sounds neat. Let's say <laughs> I, that I, in I, a I podcast. Agree. And I've had people like listen to, listen to my podcast and be like, it was really good, but I wish it was shorter. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I just go. I, <laughs> I, I have this is kind of like a passion. My podcast product club is like a passion project, right? So it's like <laughs> I do it because it's really fun talking to people and like digging in on product, which I'm passionate about, as you can probably yeah. tell. And so I'm like, I do it because I love it. And it's kind of like, it goes where it goes. And then we package it up and you guys listen to it and hope you like it. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly the same reason why we created this, right? Yeah. Um, definitely nerd passion about um, product. But well, speaking of podcasts and your product love podcast, um, you, you mentioned like you're just passion for product and that's kind of why you started it. What are the other kind of impetuses of starting that podcast, that whole process? I mean, the big thing is I was like taking this role. I was moving out and I'd run marketing for the first, I don't know, what was it, four years or so mm -hmm. at, at Endo. Um, and then, uh, or the first four years of Pendo, I guess, too. Uh, and I was taking a more external role, like community evangelism, speaking. Um, and I was trying to get myself, and I've always tried to get myself to write more, like to blog more. And I'm just, I'm bad. I'm not, and I don't mean I'm a bad writer. I'm not an amazing writer. I think I'm a pretty good writer. Uh, my wife's a journalist. She's a way better writer than I am. Or she, I should say, she's a marketing person, but her education was journalism. She's a way better writer than I was uh, or am. 
but my biggest problem too is is just I find it I found it hard to motivate myself to consistently mm-hmm. write and yeah. you know there's all these tricks for getting you to do that and I was like well what if I what about podcasting and I started yeah. podcasting I loved it you yeah. know I mean and it's still a lot of work there's a lot of prep work there's a lot of yeah. lineup there's a lot of research all that stuff I didn't mind but I found that doing that every week was a lot easier for me than trying to write every week. So I doubled down on podcasting because it was a medium I enjoyed and kind of stopped doing any of the blog kind of writing stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's a little different. I was, I was thinking about it today uh, about how that all occurred. And I was like, well, it would be kind of fun to do a podcast that was just me. Would anyone really like that though? It's like, <laughs> when you think about a blog, it's like your opinion only, right? Yeah. Would it be fun to do like, Eric's going to muse on how video game design could be applied to enterprises, right? And just do like a 20 or 30 minute segment or 10 minute, whatever it happened to be. Uh, And I would write that as a blog, but would that make sense as a podcast? I have no idea. Uh, Would people like that? I have no clue. Uh, So if if I'm going to do something new, maybe that would be a fun thing to experiment. But the podcasting as a medium, you know, was the thing that was really interesting to me where it, it, it's a lot easier for me to do a podcast or do an interview uh, on either side than it is for me to kind of sit down and write. Uh, and I think I've just embraced the fact that instead of trying to fight it and, and kind of convince myself, this is what I want to do. Why don't I just embrace it and, and do more of that? And yeah. how, how long have you been doing the product Love podcast? Oh, I think we're up to like 80 something episodes. So we started out, I think doing it monthly and then I quickly went to once every two weeks and then became every week. Uh, uh, I'm bad with dates. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not bad with like dates. I'm bad with years as it turns out. Uh, but I want to say we're going to be approaching two years, which two is kind of crazy. Wow. Uh, wow. that sounds about right. I think in, in late February, early March, maybe sometime like that, we'll be at two years. Natalie, uh, who helps me with all the logistics and scheduling would know, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just, uh, I, I'm deficient when it comes to years, but I, I believe it's two years in around that. It makes sense to me now. Yeah. So. That's, that's awesome. I mean, we started yeah. about a year ago, yeah, yeah, about a year. not quite a year ago. Uh, I think it was February, March timeframe yeah. of last year. And, uh, you know, Kevin had set up yeah. so, like a coffee for our product team to just kind of Friday morning, 8.30 a.m., let's, let's chat. chat. Yeah, level each other up. Yeah. And uh, we had the brilliant millennial idea of like, well, what if we recorded ourselves and <laughs> put this on the internet? Surely someone would be interested. <laughs> kind of half jokingly. Yeah. And I think then we set the goal, like we re-recorded an episode and was like, that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Let's let's do this weekly. How hard could it be? And then I quickly realized that there's actually a decent amount of effort that goes on beyond just the the talking piece of podcast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people talk to me about you know getting into it. And I'm like, well, you have to realize it's not just that hour. You're going to have to commit you know four or five times as much to like putting the transcripts together, prepping the questions, doing the research. You know, all that kind of said the editing process. Uh, if you actually want it to be reasonably good. Right. Um, but you know, I think that's the level of effort on the, in the podcast. It might be cool to kind of just do a YouTube channel where you guys just sat down and winged it and it was all just kind of live. Right. A lot of people do that. Sort we of we stuff. have talked about that before. Yeah. Do like a live stream, kind of like a Twitch yeah. thing. Yeah. Maybe design a product. Like instead of playing a game on yeah. Twitch, you design a product. Yeah, I mean, that would be kind of cool too. I always thought it would be fun to like do actual lessons, right? As far as yeah. the podcast, but I wasn't able to. I haven't been able to execute on that yet. <laughs> yeah. in my experiments. Too, too many fun hard. ideas. Yeah, it's the it's same hard problem. with guests too. I like try to get them like, well, what if we did an experiment where you just taught? 
And yeah. I think, you know, the medium feels like conversation as opposed to lecture. But I was like, think about yourself as a professor. So now I got to push that. Like, yeah. let's just yeah. take, let's take yeah. something on. Like, if you were teaching an hour class on positioning, go. Right. Yeah. Um, but when they hear podcasts, they think interview. And so then, right. you know, you got to kind of get over that little hump there. But, you know, I'm sure that can all be solved. Right. Right. I, yeah. I, I look forward to seeing, you know, some of those experimentations in the future. I've since started listening to product love. So excited to see what, what you try next. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been consistent on that. We'll, we'll see what else. I mean, I've, I have less time right now to experiment on that. So I think you'll probably see less experimentation. We were going to, you know, play with stuff like a master class in different areas where we yeah. you know, interview a couple people that are experts in X. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, <laughs> depending on how you look at it, uh, you know, I'm spending a lot more time now at helping, you know, launch one of our new business units. So the evangelism stuff has kind of got pushed to the back burner. Uh, really, I, I do a little bit of speaking still, but that's been scaled way back. And I do this once a week podcast uh, with a lot of help from Natalie, who's like amazing. Uh, without her, I would be overwhelmed. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the podcasting experiment while I'm, I'm doing this other, uh, while I'm running uh, this business unit is, is not likely to happen. And hopefully yeah, that, I'm running the business Totally understandable. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's been super fun. I mean, I, I'm, I would not want to give up my, you know, yeah, you know, my weekly podcast. I, I greatly enjoy it. So, it's yeah. a, it's a blast. That's what we found. And we originally we would kind of have various people on our product, product design, UX teams, kind of chatting on the podcast. We've kind of brought in, started bringing in guests from other parts of the company, um, and then more recently we've started interviewing product leaders from other businesses, and we found that very enriching. Yeah. In your experience interviewing other product leaders, um, what would you say are some of the themes you see about like? product teams that build stuff that people love, like what, what actually is the most important thing to do that, to build products people love? Like, what do you see? You know, it's interesting. Um, I see a lot of personality characteristics. Like, what are they really like? I mean, less like you know, good product leaders come from lots of different, you know, backgrounds. You know, I've, I've met people like Mike Profit, I think had his PhD in evolutionary biology or something. Mm -hmm. You know, great product leader. I've seen people come out of liberal arts and be great, right? Non-technical people mm -hmm. be great. Uh, but what I, I, I've seen some characteristics that tend to be personality wise, like, you know, most of them are very passionate, right? They're passionate about solving a particular problem or, or empowering customers to you know, make their lives better next way. Uh, so I, I see a lot of passion characteristics. I see, um, uh, a lot of people that have uh, an intense curiosity, right? Um, we really think, well, why? why? Why are we doing it that way? Why couldn't we do it this way? Wouldn't this be mm -hmm. better for yeah. a customer? Or what if we did this? Would this solve this customer's problem? Yeah. Um, see a lot of that curiosity. See a lot of empathy characteristics in great product leaders. Like they can really, I mean, I think it's a challenge. I mean, someone was arguing you only can be empathetic with certain um, number of things at the same time, right? And like how much capacity does human being have for empathy? I, yeah. I've never dug into the psychology of that, but I definitely see, you know, empathy as, as, a, as a, a personality characteristic of good product people because they really, you know, feel for their customers as opposed to are just doing things, you know, because it's their job. I, I think that makes them, you know, the, the good move to great. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, and then a lot of it is just like experience and doing things who they've been taught by what they do, how, you know, how much they have a thirst for knowledge. There's a lot of great assets out there. Like April Dunford's amazing on positioning. Dan does, Dan Olson does some great stuff on lean product, you know, from mm. discovery, et cetera. Uh, Gibson Biddle's super fun to talk with about strategy and he gets this great, you know, gives a great talk about, you know, how Netflix did strategy, right? So there's a lot of interesting people out there to learn from. I mean, I barely touched on it uh, with those three people that kind of do more of the circuit. But then there's a lot of people that have just, you know, like Sachin Recky, who, who runs a company called No Joy, is just an amazing product person. Uh, so there's a lot of people to like pull nuggets of information out. And that's why the product of podcast is so fun is because I kind of, I feel like I'm the one tasked to like help my listeners get the, these great nuggets of information from some of these amazing product people. Like the Shopify story is so amazing. Like yes. what they've done. And I had Brandon yeah. Chu on recently. He just got up, the first half of his podcast got published uh, on Wednesday. Uh, it was just fascinating, you know, the culture there, how they approach learning, mm-hmm. how, how they approach building that company, how he approaches thinking through problems. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. So uh, it's, it's really interesting for me and it seems to be really interesting for the listeners since at least some of them listen a lot. So that's yeah. cool. Uh, you know, so uh, yeah. So, I mean, I see a lot of those characteristics is like, you know, going back to the original question, empathy, thirst for knowledge, curiosity, passion, uh, yeah. you know, great communication skills, those types yeah. of things. I, I see a lot in effective, uh, you know, product leaders. Yeah, those are all really good. I, you know, I hear communication skills a lot. Um, I think uh, empathy is is critical. And it's it's one of those skills that doesn't necessarily come from any specific degree and maybe some might help more so than others, but I think that's why it's so interesting to see people from very different paths start to come down the line of product. So empathy, uh, curiosity is a big one too, like seeing people who really want to understand how do things work, why, and how could they be better? Uh, bias to action too is probably the other one that I've really noticed. Is yeah, yeah. I, you know, going on the execution side, there's a few I definitely miss. Bias to act be one. Grit would be another, yeah. you know, because in a lot of cases it's just – it's hard work shipping something. Sometimes you just got to, you know, pound your way through things. You got to grind. You know, yeah. like, you know, people ask like a big thing about business is like, you got to grind. Very few businesses are successful without the grind. You know, there's, yeah. there's always times you got to grind. In fact, more times than not, you have to grind. Yeah. You got to have the grit to grind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The consistent hard work or grit to grind actually like way better. Um, that's very, that's definitely very important. Um, I think one of the things that really interests me is this idea of building products, but then also building teams, building companies, then even on the grandest scale, building industries. And um, what have you seen be successful for people who uh, kind of naturally grow into these roles, whether it's from people you've interviewed on product love or whether it's people you've worked with uh, your own professional development, like how does someone who maybe works with a product and starts in kind of that individual contributor product role you know, what's a good way to try and help yourself be set up to, to grow into maybe more of a leadership role? So can, can I ask that, answer that from the other question you started out? Like, how do you build great companies? Yes. Um, I, I think that's a better place to start. And then maybe we can get to the individual too. But I think a lot of it comes down to like putting in place that culture to begin with, right? To have a, a culture that facilitates the building of good products, right? Um and I, I think, you know, we all think cultures, or most of us probably, hopefully all of us, but most of us more than likely think culture is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think 
a lot of us don't realize how important it was. I, I knew I didn't, right? And I, I always thought culture was important, you know, great, you know, it's an important thing. But I would argue, especially at fast growing companies, it's probably the most important thing. Like, because how you put together that culture ends up, you know, affecting how you hire and fire, who you hire and fire, how you build that team, right? Uh, it becomes kind of like uh, the, the foundation on which you build the company. Um, and it's especially important when things are growing really fast. Like I remember we went from like 14 people to 30 in like 30 days or 45 days. So it was a really wow. quick period of time. Yeah. When you think about it, like more than every other person is new. So how do you instill that like – you know, you're all on the same page, you're all the right people, you all have the right, you know, uh, goals in mind. And a lot of that comes down to like hiring for the culture, right? And we thought of like, what types of people do we want to have working with us? What's our overall mission? Are they adhering to that mission? Are they using core values as guides when they're making decisions? Uh, Because it's hard to teach people about how to make every single decision, right? And you don't want to do that but you want to give them some guiding principles, right? So one of our core values is maniacal focus on a customer. So if someone has a decision and they're thinking about, they should be thinking about that. Like, mm-hmm. is this in our customer's best interest? Does this exhibit maniacal focus to a customer? You know, when you're thinking about a decision, whether you should make it now, we have a, we have a bias to act as a core value. So you should think like, I should be having a bias towards the action side as opposed to waiting and analyzing research, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so because of that culture we put in place, both of our core values and our mission and our vision, which was you know, building, helping customers build great products or building products their customers love uh, and in improving society's experiences with software, those kind of vision, mission kind of level, uh, which kind of can get consolidated one, but I actually like two. Uh, you know, you think that those things in mind, like is doing this, does it help our customers build products their customers off? Well, no, then should we be doing this? And in the long grand scheme of things is the strategic work direction we're going is that improving society's experiences with software. If it's not, then should we be investing these resources even though there's a great opportunity here, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because startups need to stay focused too. I mean, the reason we can beat incumbents is because we can deliver a better product in a particular focused area, Mm -hmm. at least one of the reasons. Uh, So I think like building that team around the culture and then getting them all rowing towards that common goal is kind of the most important thing. I I think, especially when things are growing really quickly. Yeah. That that's really interesting. I think principles, not rules, because you can't have rules for everything. As product people, we're generally building into the the unknown, um, and so having principles for what, how should you act in line with you know what you're trying to do for your customers and for your organization, kind of can help answer questions that don't have answers, but it gives you kind of the right direction to go. Yep. So. I think that's a super interesting look into how do you build great companies and great teams? And you do that with a strong culture motivated by um, well-understood principles and that alignment. Um, then scaling that into like the, the individual contributor role, how do, you, how do you grow from that point into a place where you're able to lead and influence larger teams and, and kind of take on more of a leadership role? Yeah, I mean, some of it is just making sure people are empowered based upon these core principles, right? You know, to make decisions mm-hmm. uh, and feel like they're challenged. Like, here's a problem we need to solve. Go out and solve it, right? As opposed to, you know, being told what to do, right? We're growing uh, too quickly to be able to tell everyone what to do. You have to kind of say, hey, here's something I need you to solve. 
use our core values, our mission as a guide, you know, use me as a resource, use other people at the company as a resource, but help us solve this problem, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think people that want to grow into management need to figure out how they can empower others to solve problems and roll up to, you know, the problems they're trying to solve. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'd touch on that real quick. The, I'm curious about how, as an IC, you have those kind of, not constraints, but the the objectives, the direction. How do you then go and you're not managing someone directly, right? This isn't bi-directional management. It's a lot of product management. How do you kind of then go about what you just mentioned about men- like building that framework where those folks can then help you accomplish your goal? So the cross-team kind of execution. Um, what are some, yeah, I mean, I think we structure things in that way. I mean, yeah. you know, we have groups of teams, the product managers are working closely with design and engineering to, you know, solve business problems. So I, I think there's a lot of collaboration from the get go. Uh, and we've, we've always kind of built the company that way, you know, where the go to market side was involved. I mean, if you look at, you know, how we're doing adopt, which is then in app training, there's a lot of conversation, not just with, you know, me and the product manager as an intermediary, but mm-hmm. with the team as a whole talking about here's the things we're building, here's why, here's what are the customer's problems we're solving there. Uh, and then we're saying, and here's the new things, you know, that we'd like to do, like the problems we'd like to solve, why they're important to our customers. And then let's, you know, work together with the engineers to solve those problems. So we're kind of coming to them and saying, hey, you know, here's the things we're trying to do. How best could we do this, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. And having that collaboration from the beginning. And we get, you know, I, I think an, an environment that works the best is getting product design and the business side together more often than not uh, and getting them all working together to solve problems as opposed to like, you know, throwing things over the wall and getting thrown over the wall to the next person, mm-hmm. right? Right, yep, yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Maybe maybe one final question, and then we can we can wrap it up. Um, where do you think product management is? What do you think product is going to look like in the next five years? Uh, it's kind of been a changing changing over the past decade, fifteen years, as is evidenced by companies like Pendo who are looking to help better serve this kind of emerging, really important part of businesses. So yeah, where do you think products headed? I mean, I think you'll see the tool sets com- continue to evolve, like the platforms product managers are are using for for their uh, for their accomplishing their tasks, they're doing their job. I think you're going to see that continue to evolve. I think you'll see more, you know, you'll see day. I mean, maybe not in five years, probably in five years, you'll see kind of like this kind of data that we provide as table stakes. Like everyone, every product manager should have this when they're making decisions. They should have this platform. They should have this framework. And you'll start to see more, you know, insight-driven product management where like maybe insights are presented to product managers in some way. So you might get some more, you know, machine learning components working their way in there to help product managers, you know, cull through large amounts of data. Um, I think, you know, the rapid pace of innovation, you know, is, uh, I, I mean, I don't know, five years really, when you think about it, it feels like a long time, but it isn't necessarily, right? I, I think you're going to see more and more product organizations moving into Fortune 1000 companies. I mean, I see yeah. Home Depot hiring tons of product managers, which I think is great. It's awesome. It's amazing. I think, you know, having product orgs in these Fortune 1000s is something that's going to be in most, if not all of them, you know, over the next five years. So I see that as a trend that can take place in five years. I see a lot of cross-pollination of ideas that I think will be important between kind of segments of industry. Like there's a lot, um, 
you know, uh, Raul from uh, the CEO of Superhuman and I were just talking about like mm -hmm. how game design could affect enterprise product development, right? Because there's yeah. concepts in game design and how you're building games that can be applied to, you know, how you're doing product. And similarly, and I think it's happening more as there's cross-pollination from ideas from, you know, B to C and how that applies to enterprise and vice versa. So I think having product managers that have experience with the breadth of product actually, as opposed to a single area of domain expertise, says, brings a lot of value because they look at things from different lenses and then apply techniques that they've learned. Like we're B to C, like you can do things like experimentation councils, right? Because you have these massive users, it's really hard to do in B2B. But you can take some of the thought process behind what you're doing and apply it to how you're you know, doing A-B testing and other yeah. things inside of B2B enterprises, you know, painted windows, painted doors, whatever. Yeah. Uh, there's lots of things you can take and apply. So I think, you know, getting product managers that have a breadth of experience, uh, I'm like super excited about because they can bring new ideas to the table. So I think you're going to see, as we see the trend evolve, you're going to see product managers spending time in a lot of different areas to get a breadth of skill sets across, you know, things, different things that are important, you know, um, where they can learn about a lot more about experimentation and B2C than they're going to be in enterprise and they can bring that there. And yeah. you're going to see a lot of product managers that want to be CEOs really being involved in the enterprise because you end up touching a lot of different components, a little bit mm -hmm. different than you know, some of the B2C product management. Um, yeah, so just some, some, some things. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, those, those are all interesting. Happen. It's, yeah, all, it's I, really interesting when you think like 15 years ago, I mean, product, yeah. we had nothing. It was like the winter of product management. And yeah. Now we're kind of at spring. But I, I think we need to do a... We, you know, a lot of people understand the importance of product, but I feel this gap with best practices. Like, I know I should do onboarding and build out onboarding flows, but what are best practices? Yeah. So I think I can see product doing a much better job of, of providing, if not, you know, a single best practice, which I don't think they're all going to be, but patterns that people yeah. can apply. Like, this mm -hmm. is how you should think about it in a B2C company in this industry and use that as a pattern on which you can riff, right? So mm -hmm. I think we, as product managers, need to do a much better job of like, hey, let's, let's talk about best practices for onboarding or let's regularly do feature audits and what's the best practice for doing that? Because like, yeah. we did a study and it's like, 12% of features drive 80% of actions. That's crazy. You know, it's like yeah. the 80-20 rule. There's a ton of money being spent on features that are hardly or rarely ever used. And mm -hmm. I don't know that we as product managers know which ones we should be, you know, taking from diamonds in the rough and polishing till they're diamonds versus which ones should be things that we might want to deprecate or, you yeah. know, which ones that are there and people love, but we're just not promoting. So like there, we can develop a ton of best practices and, and, and frameworks for doing a better job of our jobs, right? So yeah. I think like the tool sets have enabled a lot of this and I think we have to instantiate, you know, better frameworks for executing. And, and some of the best product managers do this already, but I don't know that the, these frameworks are necessarily widespread. There might be yeah. one-offs here or there. Like, hey, if you worked with April, you probably do a great job of positioning, right? But yeah. there's all kinds of other things you as a product manager need to do. And that's a big trend, I think, is product managers are going to be, like, pushed on churn, right? When I think of churn, and people think of it as a CS problem, and maybe CS mm -hmm. owns it in a lot of companies, but, like, the biggest cause of churn is product, right? It yeah. might be your onboarding to your product, but it might be the product itself. So mm -hmm. product managers shouldn't think about, oh, you know, I'll build the best product and ship it, and hopefully it gets bought a lot. I mean, I think... Product managers should be, you know, should be compensated at the churn level, right? Yeah. Because a lot of what they do 
uh, affects whether customers do or don't stay with the product. And I'm not saying like all their you know comp should be mm-hmm. that way, but it should be an area where they're bonus, right? Yeah. I think yeah. churn is something a good product manager is looking at. And I think a, bo- a bad product manager is more concerned just about shipping and see yeah. this, that is kind of the end of his activity. Yeah, it's, I, I think that's very true. It's instead of focusing just on the output, like I made a feature, I made a thing, it's, it's the outcomes that are, are really important. And thinking Absolutely. About, and it's not even the short-term outcomes, like a sale. True. Yeah. I mean, those are all great, but it's, a, it's the retention outcome that I would say is even yeah. more important. Because if you build a product that a lot of people buy, but no one you know, renews, then yep. you really haven't built a great product. Right. Yeah. And, and in kind of connection with that, like you mentioned that holistic experience, like you, you might be more involved with working with your engineers and your designer and like shipping the feature, but the product is the full experience the user has. It's, it's every touch point. It's getting into this, understanding what it is. They have an issue, they contact support. That's all in their mind. That's all the product. And and that's another big trend is like, they need to be like the rest of your org needs to be empowered by the product data. You can't be like, I call up customer success and they have no idea what I was doing or when I've been in the product or what I've done. It's like going through one of those phone systems that knows nothing about you. It's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where the really exceptional organizations have a product mindset where you might deal with a customer support person, but they are thinking about you as a user. And there's kind of this product mindset of delivering a great product and a great experience. And I think, that's something I'd like to see product managers, myself included, really focus on is, you know, don't just stick to your, your quote unquote silo. I mean, we work cross-functionally quite a bit, but how do you really help empower an exceptional experience in areas that may not like, you know, directly be under as much of your influence? It really doesn't matter. Our, our task is to make an incredible experience and to help influence the right parts of the business to make sure that that happens. So, yeah. Well, awesome. Thanks again for uh, jumping on the call here. We like to. Yeah, uh, no problem. I feel like your 30 minutes has gone to 40 here. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you know. Typically does. Leveling yeah. up 57 <laughs> minutes at a time. I yeah. <laughs> uh, have to update our intro. Um, I actually would love one last question. It's fun to have someone who's like so product focused. Um, what's, what's your current favorite product? It doesn't have to be software. It can be whatever. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, that's a tough question to answer because I actually ask this question of all my guests, right? <laughs> so I hear all these cool things and it's like, oh yeah, I love Sonos for what they've done for music. Love that product. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because I'm going to answer this with a, with a product that isn't necessarily, uh, that isn't something I own. Uh, okay. And I'm going to do that just because I hear it a, a lot in random places. I'm going to say Tesla. And even though I don't own a Tesla yet, and probably will someday, it's, it amazes me when we're like, I'll be at a bar or a restaurant and we'll be talking with someone about like the Tesla stock or the Tesla story or their Tesla car or what they heard about Tesla or something. And some random person inevitably will interrupt our conversation in a good way and just be like, hey, I just wanted to tell you I own a Tesla and I absolutely love it. Like literally- if I'm talking about Chevy, that's never happened to me in my life. Yeah, if I'm totally. talking about Tesla, it almost happens every single time, right? Yeah. Every single time. Uh, and the only other time I've talked to customers that are so passionate about their products has been like if you talk to Ferrari owners. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've talked to two or three in my life. They're like, oh, you need to understand how amazing this car is, right? And that's not something that's attainable for most of us. <laughs> Where a Tesla, especially the Model 3, probably is. And right. the way these people just talk about this product for the most part is like, they're like, they just love it. They're bought in. They're like, they're like mm-hmm. all champions. So I don't own one, but from a perspective of how strong their champions are, I'm just super impressed, right? Yeah. Super, super impressed. So that's how I'll answer the question today. 
That's a good one. I, I, I don't own a Tesla either, but you'll notice how many people say yet when they, when they yeah. talk about Tesla. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I had to do that. I was like, yeah, exactly. You know, I love, I have a Subaru, Subaru WRX that I bought like seven years ago. And I love the car. I like little, mm-hmm. you know, light, fast cars. Uh, and uh, my wife insisted I get a four-door car. So I was like, fastest <laughs> four-door car under like $40,000. And that was the WRX. So that's what I bought. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I could... You know, I, I mean, the car is great. I love it. Uh, you know, it, could I get another one? Sure. Would I more than likely buy a Tesla? Yeah, probably. With the yep. Yeah. yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a that's a great way to end it, too. It's like <laughs> make a product that people can't help but tell other people yes. about or interject and, and say yeah. how much they love yeah. it. Yeah. So. I mean, that's what I love when I, the favorite stories I hear about Pendo are like, oh, you know, this guy left his job and now is at a startup of like four people. And he's like, I said, I have to buy Pendo when I came on board. It was like, that was my role. And he's like, he's not even, they don't even have product yet. And they're like, we're starting from the beginning to build product teams, right? And I was like, sweet. I love hearing stories like that. <laughs> yeah. The stories are like, hey, I go into a new job and I'm, you know, one of the first things I'm doing is making sure we implement Pendo, right? Those yeah. are the things I love. Like, you know, those people that not only do they buy and like your product, but are like, I need your product when I have my next job or I'm going to take my product with you. And the same thing as the Tesla story, you know, I yep. love to hear those people that are, that are so excited that they have to do that kind of stuff and make it, yep. it makes the job worthwhile. Right. It's like, it does. keeps passionate. You know? Yeah. I, I fully agree. It makes I you think feel good. It does. does. I, I think the comments I get from users who are like, I couldn't live without this now. This is amazing. Tell my friends about it. Those are the, the reason, one of the big reasons why, you know, we keep doing what we keep doing. So, well, absolutely. Eric, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate well, you. Thank you both. Back. This was fun. Happy to do this anytime. Yeah. Maybe Appreciate we'll <laughs> revisit again in the future, but for now, uh, you know, everyone check out Product Love. It's Eric's podcast. If you're a product person, aspiring product per- person, um, want to know better about your users, check out pendo.io. Eric, thanks again for coming on. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, now go level up. <laughs>